Just got a uh, bit of an interview for Cam, um, something we prepared earlier. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> so this is the question I'll ask on behalf of everyone out of there, because I already know it, but uh-huh. um, yeah, are you single? <laughs> um, at the moment, no. <laughs> and it pl- I plan to stay not single too. <laughs> and then the other question is that everyone's asking... Yep. That I know, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the question, the other, the other question on everyone's lips is, what's going on with the beard? <laughs> well, it started out as a joke to Signa that I was growing my beard out until she came back, and and I've told enough people now that it seems to be stuck on. So <laughs> it might be around for the next six months to a year. We'll see. <laughs> you can hold me accountable. Um, and what are you um, predominantly doing this year with all of your time? Uh, so I'm at, back at Bible College after the year, uh, kind of practical year last year, and so studying a Bachelor of Theology and and then just working and also, uh, I guess what else takes up my time, learning Latvian as well, uh, mm. to try and, <laughs> it's a difficult language though, so it's a slow process. <laughs> um, and what footy team do you go for? Uh, I go for the Blues, so not... Not unhappy. We've already won a lot more games than last year, so, you know. <laughs> and then, uh, what is the thing that you love the most about God? Uh, I, think, I think for me, it's the fact that, uh, you know, God fully knows each one of us uh, in, all our, in all our weakness and all our struggle. And I think for me, to be fully known and yet, fully loved I think it's a verse as well but that kind of uh, being able to be completely honest with God and him to still accept us is probably the greatest thing for me so I'll just pray for you yeah thanks Jesus thank you so much for Cam and thank you for everything you've done in his life to get him to this point Um, thank you for the word that you've given him Uh, he's gonna talk to us tonight And we just pray for all of us that you um, give us hearts that are ready to receive the word and that um, you just tear down any hindrances or walls that we may have uh, put up uh, to try and harden ourselves um, to you and your love. But um, yeah, just come and soften our hearts and and, uh, yeah, just prepare us for the word he's going to share. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Zach. Well, good evening, everyone. I feel like I'm in the spotlight here with this light shining in my face. Um, it's, <laughs> it's all right. I just can't see anyone over there, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> it's great to be here. Uh, this is my first Sunday night, so uh, it's good to see a fair few people uh, turn up. Um, you know, I'm going to be speaking about something that I've been particularly challenged on uh, in the last year, something that God really challenged me on while I was in, in Poland, actually. But I think something that's particularly challenging for our culture uh, today. And so, if you've got Bibles, uh, why don't you open them up to Matthew chapter 22. Uh, we're going to be starting at verse 34. It'll be on the screen, too. Matthew chapter 22. We'll read through to verse 40. Now, just as a reminder, this, this, these particular verses are come in a chapter where Jesus is being qu- questioned repeatedly. 
basically, the Pharisees asked him a question first, and, and he replied very well to that question. And then the Sadducees asked him a question about the resurrection. Again, Jesus replied well. And so the Pharisees have kind of regrouped and, and are coming together to think of an even better question to ask Jesus. And, and this is kind of where we pick it up. Um, so reading in verse 34, here's what it says. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Well, as most of you know, I spent most of last year in Poland. And one of the great joys and challenges for me being in Poland was learning the language. Um, This is a very humbling experience because you pretty much have to be always ready for someone to laugh at you. Uh, Many, many times I wanted to say one thing and it came across completely the wrong way. In fact, I remember one particular example towards the end of my time in Poland when I was beginning to explain to people uh, about my girlfriend, Signe. For those of you who don't know, I have a girlfriend uh, who I met over there in Poland, but she's from Latvia. And so I was beginning to tell my Polish friends about this relationship. And one of the difficult things about Polish is saying uh, country names. No one really knows how, how to say them because they all change and they're nothing like how we say them in English. And so I had to ask one of my Polish friends, how do I say she is Latvian? Um, and he said to me, you know, all you have to say is Ona, she, yes, is, and Watfa. Watfa was the word that I was looking for. I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's not too bad. I've had harder words in Polish than that. And so a few days later, someone was talking to me about her and, and uh, was saying a few things and uh, asked me where she was from. And uh, I thought, oh, great, here's my opportunity. I confidently said, honor, yes, what for? Um, and then he burst out laughing and so did a few people around him. And I thought, well, no, what have I done wrong? What have I done wrong? And then I realized my mistake, unfortunately. I figured out that instead of saying what for, I'd said what for. And actually what what for translates as is easy. And so instead of saying she is Latvian, I said she is easy. Not a great start to my introducing Signa to everyone in Poland. Uh, I didn't tell Signa that, thankfully, um, so you can all keep it a secret as well. But that was a nightmare for me, but that was just one example of how many times I would, would have a good idea in my head and I want to communicate this, but then it comes across completely the wrong way. And you know, we actually have a similar problem as we come to this passage today. Not the exact same thing, but you see, this passage is all about love. Love God and love others. The two great commandments in the Bible, you know, seems fairly straightforward when when you read it. But you see, we have two major problems with this word love. The first one is actually a language problem. You know, in English, I can say, I love my dog, and I love my mum, and I love chocolate. And it's all the same word. You can't tell me what kind of love I have for each of those things, because the word's the same. But obviously, those loves are very different. Or or maybe you'd say your love for chocolate is the same as your love for your husband or wife. I don't know. If that's what you're saying, then Shabu's happy to give you counselling later. 
But that's a big problem with that word love. The second is a problem with our culture. Our culture is very confused about what love is. You know, I looked up many definitions on love uh, over the past few weeks, and, and no matter what I looked up, whether it was the verb or the noun, basically all the definitions said this, something along these lines. Love is a strong feeling or of affection for someone or something. Love is a strong feeling of affection for someone or something. Now, this is a very poor definition. From these definitions, it seems like you can love chocolate the same way you love your husband or wife. You know, because in our culture today, love has everything to do with feelings. You'll see it in all the movies, everything they say. Love is that warm, fuzzy feeling you get, the tingles you get when you, when you like someone. That's what love is. But that's a terrible reflection of what love really is. And you see, the real problem comes is when we take this problem we have in English with, with uh, our view that the culture says to us and we impose it on this passage. So when we read, love God and love others, we think that God wants us to have warm, fuzzy feelings towards him and warm, fuzzy feelings to everyone else. But that's actually not what he's saying in this passage. Now, fortunately, not every language is as flawed as English is when it comes to the word love. In fact, a lot of languages have different words uh, for love, different types of love. And you know, actually, in the Greek language, which is what the Bible was originally written in, it has actually four words for love. And so bear with me for a minute. I'm just going to quickly show you these four words because I think it's really important when looking at this passage to understand what is really being said. And so the four types of love are, the first one is eros. Now this word isn't actually used in the Bible at all, but it's alluded to. It's a love between, uh, an intimate love between a man and a woman. The second type of love is storge. Uh, there is only, there's only two occasions where this is used in the Bible, and it refers to a family love, a, a natural love between a parent and a child. The third type of love, which is used very often in the Bible, is filio. This love describes describes more of a friendship love. The main idea of this love is actually feelings, strong affection for something. You could use this word for chocolate like you would use it for friends, but it carries with it feelings. The last kind of love, which is also used frequently in the New Testament, is agape love. And unlike the other loves, this love actually finds its basis not in feelings, but in action. The key characteristic of this love is sacrifice. And it's seen most clearly in the unconditional love of God when he sent Christ to the cross to die for our sins. This is a unique love. And interestingly enough, the word that's used here in this passage is agape love. And this is, this is really important, I think. And this is hugely important for me, myself, because I'd never even looked at this. I never even knew what it meant when it was talking about love. This is sacrificial love. You know, this is love that is, that is seen most clearly in the hard times in life. 
in the times where often we are confused. This is where love is seen most clearly. You know, this is quite obvious. When, when we read the Bible, God tells us to love our enemies. We all know that. Now, when he says that, he's not telling us to have warm, fuzzy feelings towards our enemies. I mean, if you have that, I'd be a little concerned. But what he is telling us is, whether you like them or not, you need to sacrifice for them. You need to give up your time and your efforts for people who you completely disagree with. Because you see, you can't have filio love for your enemies, but you can have agape love, unconditional love for your enemies. And, and you know, in your Christian life, do you, do you want to know when love for God is seen most clearly? It's not seen most clearly in times of worship when, when you listen to music and, and you get that feeling that, you know, God is just so great and awesome. That's not, that's not where love is actually seen most clearly. Love is seen most clearly in the difficult decisions of life when you turn away from a life of pleasure and you turn and go places where God wants you to go, where you'd never choose to go unless he was your Lord. Think of Steve, Steve Chong who was here a month or two ago, he went to one of the most dangerous places in the world at the moment and didn't even know whether he was coming back. He went with his wife and left his kids behind. No way would he choose that. He, di- he didn't even want to choose that. He was afraid. He was scared. And so was his wife. And yet, why did they do it? Because they were sacrificing. They were showing agape love for God. That's when it's seen most clearly. Love for God is seen most clearly in the grimy battle with sin when we see something that we want to do that's wrong in God's eyes and we turn and we sacrifice that for God. That's when true love is seen most clearly. Sacrificial love for God and others. You know, we must be careful about getting sucked into our culture and think that love is all to do with feelings and emotions. Because I'm sure many married couples here will tell you, yeah, that those feelings and emotions are always on high. You always have these love feelings for your husband and wife. I can guarantee you they all won't say that. (laughs) That there's tough times, that there's hard times. I haven't experienced them yet, but I'm sure it will happen. Feelings aren't the key part of love. The key part of love is sacrifice. And we need to get our heads around this. And don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying that emotions and feelings are bad. They, they will be there in our love for God. They will be there in our love for others. But that's not the primary thing about love. And so now we have a clear picture of the type of love that is being spoken about. We can move on. And I want to talk briefly about uh, why these commands are in the order that they are. Because the man clearly asked Jesus, what is the great commandment in the Bible? He asked for a single command, but Jesus gives him two. And so I want to talk about why love God comes first, but also why we always need to take these two commands together and that we should not separate these, but they go hand in hand. You know, one thing I've been noticing today in the, in the Christian culture is that there's this trend going around uh, and it seems to be a trend about loving others and, and it's a good thing 
Uh, but, but more than ever, there seems to be this message of, of love. I think perhaps because the, the secular world's pushing it as well. In, in my personal opinion, it seems to be a pushback of maybe some of our generation who were hurt by the church when we were younger and, and hurt by maybe just strict, or I guess, religion. And, and so there's this push for loving others. And, and of course, that's a good thing. But you see, the danger is, is when loving others is held by itself. When loving others almost becomes an idol and isn't held in balance with loving God. Because I think what happens sometimes is that our, because of our twisted view of love, our culture's twisted view of love that we sometimes buy into, we can actually think to think that love really means not rocking the boat. That love means not making our Christian friends feel un- our non-Christian friends feel uncomfortable at all. That we should never feel like we're disagreeing with them or or causing them to feel uncomfortable about the way they are. We should never cause them to even dislike us. That would be terrible. But without realizing it, in our best efforts to love others, we're actually come to a point where we're compromising on the truth. But you see, true love is about sacrifice, but it does not compromise on the truth. Let let me give a quick example. One of the the biggest issues in our culture today is uh, the whole gay marriage debate. Uh, It's it's huge at the moment, and, and we had a really great discussion last week at church, beginning to discuss these issues that are coming up in our culture. And it's great, great to be talking about it. And I guess the big question is, in our politics at the moment, is should it be allowed? I guess the even bigger question in the Christian culture is, you know, what should our response be to this situation? And it seems like there's kind of two extremes people fall into. You know, one side of the extreme is that people want to condemn these people. They want to push them down and and essentially say that these people have no hope if they're going to turn down that path, that that basically these people are on their way to hell and there's no saving them. That's one extreme I see a lot these days. And then on the other side of the extreme, I think in our efforts to not rock the boat at all, we, we find ourselves not wanting to be judgmental, wanting to, to stand back a little bit and, and almost support these people, not for who they are, but almost what they are doing. We end up supporting something that God clearly does not support. And when we only have loving, God, loving others in our minds, sometimes this can happen. And you know, the most unloving thing you can do, the most unloving thing you can do to a non-Christian is to make them feel safe in their sin. To make them feel as if they don't need a saviour. To make them feel that they're okay. And so I think as Christians, we shouldn't fall into either one of these examples. As, As we look at loving others, we shouldn't fall into these extremes. And how? How do we not fall into either one of these? I think we need to look at the example of Jesus. You know, how did Jesus approach the culture around him? 
You know, I've noticed one of, one of the characteristics of Jesus that isn't spoken about a whole lot is how blunt he was sometimes. You know, oftentimes he said things that, that provoked the people around him. He said things that he even seemed really harsh on, on the outside. You know, some people wanting to follow him. And, you know, at one stage he says, you know, leave the dead to bury the dead. Anyone who t- turns back and looks back is not worthy of following me. Very harsh comments, you know. If anyone even looks at a woman, he has committed adultery in his heart. If anyone is even angry with a brother, he has committed murder. You know, Jesus had very critical things to say. And it says all throughout the, the Gospels that his message was clearly to repent and believe in the Gospel. We see that as, as the summary of his message. And yet at the same time, Jesus was able to proclaim this message of truth that everyone needed to repent and turn to him. But at the same time, he went in and ate with the sinners. He went in with uh, the tax collector, Zacchaeus, and many times ate with though the worst of the worst in that culture. The prostitutes, the the very lowest people in that community, he ate with them. And yet he did not compromise in his message. He did not not change his message. He still proclaimed that they needed to repent. Just like the person who appeared to have it all together. He proclaimed to them to repent too, the Pharisees. And so Jesus was very clear in his message. You know, true love is, defi- is, is defined by sacrifice, but it never leads to compromising of the truth. You know, we need to give up our times for our friends who have these issues, who, who are homosexuals or gender confused. or It's not even really about those type of people. I don't want to make it about those type of people. We need to give up our time for those who have an addiction to alcohol, who have an addiction to computer games, who have an addiction to whatever it may be. People who have made an idol of sin. We need to spend time with these people, giving up our time for these people, and ultimately showing them that they need a saviour and that there's more to life than what they're currently living for. And I think we see this in Jesus' life. Finally, I want to finish with talking about why these commandments uh, must be taken together. Because if you look at verse 39, uh, back in Matthew 22, after giving the first commandment, love God, he says a second is like it. He, He links these two commandments together. And I think there's a number of reasons for this, but but I just want to focus on one particular reason. And more so for how we can grow in our love for God and our love for others. And that actually we grow in both of these things through the same means. To show this, I actually want to go to the Old Testament quickly and point out where these commands actually originally come from because you know, neither, these, neither of these commands are actually new things in the New Testament. They're not new commandments. They both exist in the Old Testament. So if you have Bibles, quickly turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I just want to quickly 
point a couple of things out. It'll be on the screen as well. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is just after God has given the Ten Commandments to Israel and he's instructing the Israelites on how to tell their children about these commandments, basically. Verse 7 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. And if you skip down to verse 20, it talks about the very reason for these commandments. Verse 20 of Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, When your sons ask you in times to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? And note, what is the first thing you are to say to your children when they ask? The first thing is, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The first first thing God says is, remind your children, tell your children about God's saving grace, that he brought you out of the land of Egypt. In fact, in chapter 5, just before, before God even tells the Ten Commandments to the Israelites, he says to them in verse 6, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is what you need to know. This is what you need to know, Israelites. If you want to obey any of my commands, you need to know that I am the one who brought you out, that my grace saved you. Because you see, you can't love God without realizing what he's done for you. And we see the same thing is actually true when looking at the command to love your neighbor as yourself. If you look at Leviticus 19.33, don't bother turning there, it'll be up on the screen. Leviticus 19.33, here's what it says. When When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. You shall love him as yourself. And why? Why should you do this? What is your motivation? For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God reminds them in both cases that the motivation for loving God and loving others comes from the same source. It comes from an understanding that God's saving grace was the thing that brought them out of the land of Egypt. You want to know how to grow in these areas of your life? You need to look to the cross. You need to understand that this is where we see the perfect display of love. You know, the more you understand that you yourselves were objects of God's wrath, the more you see that you yourselves were dead in your sins, the more you see yourselves that you were weak sinners, who were enemies of God. And yet God, in his kindness and agape love, sent his son, Jesus, into the world to take your sin, your debt, and to set you free. That when we believe in him, we not only receive his righteousness, but we receive his Holy Spirit. We receive the key to live a life of love for him and love for others that reflects this sacrifice. This is how we grow in these areas. This is what we need to focus on in our lives because only there do we see the perfect, the perfect love that dealt with sin, the necessary payment of sin. It could not compromise on that. 
but also showed unconditional love for us. And so, I guess I want to ask you all, you know, where, where are you at with this? Uh, do you see yourself on one side or the other? Perhaps maybe you're looking down on people too much, your non-Christian friends. Perhaps you see them as some, someone you don't really need to spend time with. You don't really need to, to invest in their lives. Perhaps maybe you're judging them too much and, and forgetting that you yourself were a sinner. You yourself were dead. You yourself could do nothing to get out of that position. Perhaps you need to focus on that aspect more in order to love your neighbor more effectively. Or maybe on the other side of things, maybe you're striving to love others but have lost sight of the fact that we need to stay true to God. That we need to uphold His commands. That when we have an opportunity to speak the truth, we speak the truth. And of course we do that in love, but we speak the truth, even if that might offend someone, even if it might cause people to hate us. Jesus, after all, said, you know, don't fear when the world hates you. When the world hates you. He knew it's going to come. Don't fear when the world hates you. It hated me first. And so maybe you're on that side of the coin and you need to focus more on what Jesus went to achieve on the cross. That he went to the cross because there was a necessary payment to be paid. And that people need a saviour. True love is marked by sacrifice. It does not compromise on the truth and it is motivated by the gospel. This needs to drive everything we do in our lives. And I I hope that this is at the forefront of your mind every day when you wake up to, to love God and to love others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for uh, this night. Thank you for the people who who came along. And uh, I just want to thank you, Lord, for your word and the truth that is in it. Father, I want to thank you most of all for uh, your gospel. I want to thank you for your son. I thank you that you sent your son uh, to redeem us, Lord, when we had no hope. We had no chance of saving ourselves but you saved us I thank you that uh, you did this for us and and you set us free from our sin thank you that you rose from the dead and and granted us your Holy Spirit and that we now have the opportunity to live a life of sacrifice for you Lord I pray that you help us to uh, I guess to really just fix our eyes upon your gospel, Lord, to, to spend time thinking about this, to, to start each day with just remembering who we were and, and what you saved us from. And then also remembering, Lord, that there's a world out there who is lost in their sins and that needs the message that we have, that we can be the meeting place for people to introduce them to you, Lord. Help us to have a good balance, Lord, of sacrificing our time for people and proclaiming the truth, Lord. 
I do pray for this and just commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to actually just go straight into communion. Uh, we just spoke about all that Jesus has done. And, and so what I want us to do is just take a few minutes to just pause uh, and just think to yourself, you know, where are you at with, with these things, with loving God and lo- loving others? Just leave aside the thoughts about work and, and homework and what we're going to do on the holidays for the young guys and really think about your relationship with God. And as we come to uh, the com- communion, I just want to uh, really challenge you to, to not just do it out of routine, but to think about the gospel and what Jesus has done. So well, maybe it will take yeah a few minutes and then um, I'm not sure who's distributing it, but they'll come up here and come up the front. Okay, so maybe take three minutes and then you can slowly start coming up the front and, and taking it for yourself and, and then I'll, I'll pray. Uh, actually, I'll pray now and then we'll do that. Uh, Lord, I just pray as we take this bread and, and uh, wine. Let us remember what they are really for and I pray that uh, ultimately, Lord, uh, you'll be glorified through this time and, and that you'll challenge us in our hearts to, to see and remember uh, what you've done. Amen. So just take a few minutes and then come up the front. Thanks.